Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your Extinction Loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Yeah. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir, you know I got to get paid. High five ball, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir, you know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, welcome to the show. 25 lighters for my 25 folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans and our good buddies at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for all of your online betting needs. Whatever line you like to play, whatever sports you like to bet on, MyBookie.ag has you covered. If you wanted to lay a number down for the NBA draft lottery last night and you were wanting to pick the Hawks going number one, unfortunately you wouldn't have won any money, but MyBookie.ag had all the lines there. If you're a fan of the baseball prop bets, if you're a fan of NHL hockey, they've got the they've got playoff prop bets for hockey. Whatever it is, mybookie.ag has you covered. They've got easy to find lines, easy to understand lines. And if you ever have any problems understanding anything, their customer service is second to none. Easy to contact, easy to communicate with, and just a joy all around. Plus, if you use our promo code Braves25, they will match your initial deposit up to 50%. That means if you put in a hundred dollars when you first sign up, they'll give you an extra fifty dollars just for signing up with them and just for using our promo code Braves25. All right, so if you guys didn't hear the show last week, Doc is in Italy doing all sorts of fun romantic things with his lovely wife, Valerie, um, who really is the backbone of that relationship, I must say. Uh, but he's left me kind of listless, and in case you guys didn't notice already, uh, I've have, I have spent little time before getting myself into trouble. So instead of me doing episode alone this week, we did have our contest winner, and he is joining me today, Jordy Phillips. Congratulations, man. This is a big deal. Yeah, man, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, you know, when you guys announced that y'all were doing the uh, co-hosting contest, 
I knew that I had to jump on it. I had done a podcast of my own previously, and I missed it a lot. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity to get back into it. And I'm really glad you guys chose me for this episode, man. I mean, it wasn't too difficult. We had a lot of great video choices. Both of your videos were just really good, though. So pretty easy picking. Sorry to the rest of you guys. We are going to continue to do that, by the way. I just needed somebody to uh, to try to keep me grounded a little bit, since without Doc, I have a tendency to get a little a little overboard sometimes, we'll say. <laughs> uh, maybe make some claims or, or to get a little fiery. Doc is pretty good. He's almost he's almost like my podcast wife to kind of keep me grounded and keep me uh, keep me humble. So we're going to lay this all on your feet today, Jordy. Luckily for you, this is kind of a, a, a perfect day to do a podcast. Uh, if you guys are listening to the Locked On Show, I, I was a little late today because Riley, Austin Riley, gets called up for his MLB debut today, and I had to wait for the Braves to put the lineups up or the lineups out because they were uh, slacking a little bit. But Jordy, kind of a prophetic thing. I mean, it's been some some bad things have happened that we're going to get to, but the overarching thing we're going to get to talk about Austin Riley in his first day. Yeah, man. I mean, you talk about a guy who has big power to every single field. I mean, this guy hits for big power center, left, right. He can hit it out of the park no matter where you want him to. He's a, I mean, he's a plus defender as well. He's not a slouch defensively. He's playing a little bit of out out of position today. He'll be at left field, and I'm sure most of your listeners know that He's been working out there for the last week or so trying to kind of find a spot for him since Donaldson is anchoring down third base this season. But you want to talk about a guy who projects as an absolute monster with a bat in his hand? It is Austin Riley. And just looking at his numbers, this season for him has has been absolutely incredible. He had a good season last year. I wouldn't say it was anything special. It was good if you weren't judging by the same standards of guys like you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Ronald Acuna Fernando Tatis Jr. But this year has been something totally separate. And one of the big things for Austin Riley this year, and one of the reasons why I didn't think that he was ready to jump the gate right out of spring training, was his strikeout rate. Last year in AAA, he had a strikeout rate of almost 30, coming in at 29.3. This year, that is drastically cut down. He's striking out a 19% clip, which is really, really good for a guy that projects with that type of power. And his walk rate has gone up. Whenever it's power, guys, you expect a big walk rate because you expect some swing and miss in their game since they tend to swing for fences so much. Think Joey Gallo. Um, but Austin Riley has improved from an 8% walk rate, which isn't bad, to an 11.1 this season, which is much, much better. Anytime you're in the double digits for a walk rate, that says really good things about your batter's eye. He's slugging 681, which is enormous. Now, if you wanted to point to one thing and, and ask how real it is, AAA pitchers are using the Major League Baseball for the first time this year. So there is a little bit to talk about with the pitchers having to get used to the lower seams and getting used to a new baseball. That does mess with them a little bit. But as far as, as just talking about Austin, there are some things he's done that make you think that this isn't just juiced ball related, that this is something that Austin has worked really hard on. Yeah, and not just that. When you bring up the uh, the juiced ball argument that could potentially be used to put a sort of an asterisk on his numbers, I mean, you look at that and you think, well, it's not like the AAA ball is going to be different from the ball that he's working with in the majors. He's going to be coming up. He's going to be hitting that same ball. Now, as you mentioned, the, the minor league guys are getting used to those lower seams and everything, but it is the same ball. So if he can get underneath it and drive it, He's still going to be getting that big power off of that ball. It's not we're not going to see a decrease in his power because of that ball, at least I don't think. And when you think about a guy who in the month of May had an OPS of almost 
1,500, 1.478. That is not a typo. I mean, that is ridiculous. And you think about a guy who can come in and immediately make an impact in an offense that has already been, for the most part, pretty effective. That's reason to get excited. And it's really important that you brought that up. You're talking about his month of May. He hit 10 homers in the month of May so far. He hit 12 home runs total last year in like 372 at-bats maybe, in something like 79 games. He's already surpassed that in AAA this year. Hit his 15th home run last night, which was ironically enough a grand slam. And you're talking about adding him to a lineup that when the lineup is going well for the Braves, they put up runs in bunches. When it's not going well, then they have a... They have a realistic chance of getting shut out. They're right at eighth in run scored in the National League, which is pretty much perfectly in the middle. And that comes with having a giant hole in the lineup where Ender and Ciarte was. When you bring in Austin Riley, you are sacrificing a little bit of defense. You're talking about a guy that's a big boy. He's not exactly a burner. He's he's athletic, but he's not exactly a burner. And you're talking about moving Acuna to center field where we all think Acuna can play well. He hasn't done it to this point in his career. He has the tools for it, but you are – you would think taking a, a step back defensively, but you talk about adding that type of bat in there and the potential. I don't. I'm not one of these that thinks he's going to hit 300 out of the gate, but I am a guy. I'm a big believer that he is a 30 plus home run type of guy. When you add that into a lineup that already has two 30 type home run hitters, or really three, if you consider Freeman a 30 home run type of guy, you've got a ton of power with the Braves, and this is something that it's needed. I'm not just looking for the Braves to match up well with like the Washington Nationals. We saw what the Braves have to match in the Los Angeles Dodgers, and when the Braves went out and played the Dodgers, they looked like that little brother trying to take their their big brother on in 21. Yeah, and and when you you mentioned the uh, the black hole that is Ender Enciarte's offensive spot, um, I look at it as taking one step back defensively in order to attain what could be an Olympic level long jump forward in offensive production. Uh, the the fact that you know Austin Riley most likely will be able to get the ball out of the infield is enough to immediately be an impact bat that is more important than Ender Enciarte, and that's coming from somebody who is a fan of Enciarte. I like Enciarte a lot. He was one of my favorite guys on the team for a while. Uh, and I regret to say that I'm probably going to get blocked for this on uh, Twitter, which I have not done yet. I was pretty proud. I'm like the only member of Braves Twitter who hasn't yet. But um, at this point in time, and we'll get into this more later, uh, I just don't see a reason why you don't make this move. You, it's the perfect time to bring up Austin Riley, get him some big league reps in at left field, even if he doesn't stick around. This is a perfect opportunity for him to get introduced to the team. I think it's a I think it's important for him to be playing in left field because it is a spot. Anytime you can add versatility, like you can say that Austin Riley is your third baseman in the future. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. You don't whatever. But when you can play more than one position, it allows you to play more and it allows the Braves to give more people time off if you can convince the manager to do so. It's the same thought behind having Camargo playing all over the field. If you've got Riley and Camargo who can both spell the outfielders and Riley can play first base and Camargo can play second base in shortstop, then you're able to do a little bit with like the Chicago Cubs do and get your guys 135, 150 games, but have them come in all, all different positions so everybody is staying fresh throughout the season. And for the Atlanta Braves, that was a big deal because last year, everybody wore down in the second half. You talked about guys like Nate Marquez played 162 games at, what, 34 years old. That is not supposed to happen. And, and the Braves paid for it at the end of the year. Ozzie Albies, we know what, what his second half struggles. A lot of that was fatigue-related because he did not sit any games. Freddie Freeman never sits games. You pretty much have to tie him up with cables if you want him <laughs> to miss a game. The only reason he didn't play that final game in the Diamondback series was because he physically could not walk. 
Yeah, and and Austin Riley coming up fills not only that left field need, not only the the need for Josh Donaldson to get some days off at third, along with Camargo and even potentially Charlie Culberson as well in that role. You can now put Austin Riley in at first, and you can allow Freddie Freeman to have some more time off there, which is only a good thing. And as you mentioned, Freddie Freeman is not the kind of guy who just takes days off willy-nilly. But if Austin Riley can come up and produce, then maybe that will give him a little bit of ease and he can you know, take those days off. And that can have him fresher and ready to go for when you know the playoff push starts. Now, I don't think you're ever going to get him to take a day off willingly. You're pretty much going to have to force him. So that's something Snicker needs to do a little bit better at because that was yeah. the that was the thing coming into the season. Oh, everybody's going to get days off. Well, I don't think Ozzy's had but like three days off. I don't think Marcakis has had a day off yet. Other well, he might have had a couple days off, but he still played nearly every game. Freddie has really missed like one game this year. So you got to start getting these guys some rest, especially right yeah. now. The division is still kind of in flux. Everybody's still trying to figure out who's the top dog in the division. You still got three teams who are bunched right up together. The Nationals, if they can ever figure out what in the world is going on between them and their coach and, and why they, they can't seem to play up to par, then they're a team that has a ton of talent. But if you can get Riley in there and he hits, Riley's not a guy that the Braves are going to be looking to drop back down. He's a guy that if they bring him up, they're expecting him to stay on this on this roster all season. I don't think they're bringing him up to sit the bench. This is a guy that they probably didn't want to waste an option, period, which is probably why it took as long as it did for them to bring him up. But now that he's up to stay, if his bat is playing and he's he's not prone to the strikeout again, then he's a guy that's going to be a fixture in this lineup. And I, I had wondered if they were going to have Riley be the primary third baseman if, if Josh Donaldson were to get hurt and Camargo to remain in a super utility role, and it looks like that would be the case. Yeah, and I, I don't see a reason why you take Camargo out of that super utility role. That's just that's where he fits best. He can fill multiple needs. I mean, he, he doesn't have any one position where you stick him and you're like, okay, that is clearly the position he needs to be. I mean, he can play third. He can play some short. He's played the outfield, and he does it all you know, to a, a, a similar degree, and I think trying to nail him down in a single role, especially when you have a prolific, you know, potential superstar like Austin Riley, I think it kind of does you a disservice. And I think Charlie Culberson is, is a similar player. Uh, I think Camargo is a little bit better than Culberson is. And I think Camargo provides a little bit more value. His bat hasn't quite played as well as it did last season. Uh, but I would look for that to turn around pretty soon. I don't expect for him to be slumping as badly as he is currently for the entirety of the season. I think a lot of Camargo's struggles have to do with the fact that he went from being a full-time player to having a struggle to get on the field. A lot of that has mm. to do with if you're going to have him be a super utility player, you have to commit to actually using him correctly. That means he needs to play about three out of every five games, not one out of every five and give him some pinch hit appearances. You need to actually get him in there. His defense, I think, is going to struggle this year a little bit because anytime you give a guy a crash course lesson and have him training and, and two or three different positions that he hasn't played before, that takes the focus away from his normal positions like third base or short. He's already pretty. He's already really good at third base, so he's obviously not working on those as much as he's working on the outfield, which does take a little bit of the focus away from his third base defense, which is why you've seen, you've seen him make some uncharacteristic errors early in the season. I don't worry about Camargo long-term, other than the fact that I worry that the Braves manager, as much as I like what Snicker brings to the clubhouse, I don't know that he's necessarily at this point, a guy that, that's able to utilize a super utility, much less two, effectively. I mean, we've barely seen Charlie play, aside from pinch hitting. Now, luckily, Charlie's a really good pinch hitter, and luckily, 
Culberson's not exactly a guy that I put on the same tier as far as super utility. He's a guy that can fill in in every single position, but he's not necessarily one that I think demands that you play him three out of every five games. Yeah, he seems much more like the kind of guy who you you know you bring out every once in a while, maybe once every five games versus every three three out of every five with Camargo. He's a guy that, as you mentioned, can play every single position on the field, and I believe he has, if I'm not mistaken. Everyone but center field. He hasn't played center field with the Braves. He might have played yeah. a couple innings with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about a guy who can quite literally play every single position on the field, including come in in a relief appearance if you're down by nine runs, which, you know, unfortunately has happened more than a couple of times already this season. But um, to your point about Snitker, you know, not being able to necessarily utilize a super utility guy, I'm, I'm of the same mind as you. I like Snitker a lot. I really like what he does for the clubhouse. The clubhouse seems to like him a lot, but the amount of times here in my episode notes that I have written boneheaded decision by Snitker uh, <laughs> is a little bit alarming. I do like him. I do want him around, but you know, he can be a little bit stubborn and a little bit big headed at times when it comes to, uh, you know, just not doing something because it's what's always been done in baseball. And to that point, I think the most obvious thing is, is the one that finally changed, and that's Ronald Acuna batting leadoff. Coming into this year, everybody, everybody saw the numbers that Acuna had as a leadoff hitter last year. He was one of the best offensive players in all of baseball, not just one of the best leadoff hitters. And that that changed. He wasn't When he was brought up, he wasn't hitting leadoff, and he struggled coming out of the gate. When they put him in leadoff, everything changed. He's just a different type of guy as a leadoff hitter. He's a lot more comfortable. He's a lot less willing to chase pitches, but he's a lot more aggressive with his swings. The difference between being aggressive and being aggressive with your swings, when you watch him swing as a cleanup guy, you can tell he's thinking about driving the ball too much, and he's not necessarily taking the pitches as they come. So his swings are a little bit slower. He's a little bit more tentative on the swing. So he's getting burned on the fastballs up in the zone. When he's at leadoff, he just lets it rip. And it's just some guys just have different spots that they're comfortable in. And I'm not a huge guy as far as lineup optimization. I think that gets kind of thrown around too much. There's a little too much value placed on the lineup construction. More, most important is putting players in the position that they're most comfortable hitting in. And if Ronald Acuna tells you, hey, I'm more comfortable hitting leadoff, Give him that preference. I don't care how many home runs he hits out of leadoff spot. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's all about confidence, I think. And and you're especially in a younger player like Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 21 years old, and he is visibly. I mean, you can look at him when he's playing, and you can tell that he is more comfortable playing leadoff. He is more comfortable there. He comes out. He's got his shoulders up. He's standing tall. You know. And he's like you said, he's letting it rip on those fastballs up in the zone. And and the, the home runs at the leadoff spot are fine, whatever, that's cool. But you you're talking about a guy who last season batted 328 in the leadoff spot. He had an OPS of 1.042 and 19 home runs. I mean, those are elite numbers at the leadoff spot. And it, his numbers taper off when you put him anywhere else. And while he does have the power, quote unquote, to be a you know, a four hole hitter. I think the one spot is just tailor made for him. He is just, he is a player that has to hit leadoff. I mean, essentially the number one spot in the lineup gets the most at bats per season. You can now certainly all at bats are not created equally. I fully understand this, but the, the idea of not having Acuna bat in the first inning is always kind of dumb to me because he's the guy that sets up the rest of your lineup. He's the most dynamic offensive player. Freddie is the all around best. Because I think he's the guy that 
can do the most things, whether that's home runs or consistently hitting doubles or whatever. But Acuna is the dynamic one. Acuna is the guy that makes the rest of the offense work because he's so fast, because he hits so many extra base hits, because he when he when he gets a hold of one, you can just see throughout the team. It's just electrifying. To have him at the top of the order is the most important thing because it sets up everybody else behind him. I know you're worried about Freddie getting better pitches to hit if Acuna's behind him or not, but it didn't hurt Freddie last year. It's not going to hurt Freddie this year. That's just the type of hitter Freddie is. And ultimately, and this is not to disparage Freddie Freeman at all because I love Freddie Freeman. Freddie is a complimentary. Acuna is an actual cornerstone piece. Like If you're talking about guys who are going to win MVPs, Acuna is a guy that will that would win an MVP. Freddie is the guy that would get some surprise votes. Freddie's a lot more like Joey Votto in the sense that by the time he gets towards the end of his career and you look back at his numbers, you're kind of taken aback by just how good he really was. Acuna's mm-hmm. Acuna's the type of guy that the numbers are just in your face. Yeah, and and to your point, uh, when talking about Freddie Freeman's relationship to this whole thing, you know, we all love Freddie. Freddie's a monster. He's amazing with a bat in his hand. His defense is great. But let's be honest, when it comes time for Freddie to run, um, it's kind of a problem. Freddie's slow, and he's not exactly graceful either. And so I don't understand why you would want to pin a guy like Ronald Acuna down, who can score from first on a single, by putting him behind not only Freddie, who's a big, you know, bigger, slower guy, but also Josh Donaldson, who has like half of a good leg at this point. I don't understand why you would want to, you know, slow him down. I think you putting him on first is just the best outcome of any, you know, any situation where he's on on the base paths because he is the kind of guy who can score off soft contact because of just how fast he is. And to put anybody in front of him that's not just as fast, meaning Dansby Swanson or, as we found out a couple of days ago, Max Freed, you kind of have to let him be the guy who is leading on the base pass. There can't be anybody else in front of him that could potentially slow him down. And I think ideally they want to see Ozzy up in the top of the lineup. I'm not sure that that's ever going to be Ozzy's game. He's not... I don't know that he's ever the guy that's going to be patient enough. Now, his OBP has gone way up this season as opposed to what it was last season. He's walking a ton more, so he's developing that batter's eye. But for the most part, Ozzy is at his best when he's being really aggressive and when he's being aggressive early in counts. Sure, it can backfire, but for the most part, that's what makes Ozzy the special type of guy that he is. So batting Ozzy fourth, for instance, he's got the power to hit fourth. By the way, the whole your cleanup guy has to have the most power. That's kind of an outdated mode as well. You can kind of space power a little bit differently nowadays. Nowadays, your two hitter is usually your best hitter in the lineup, but your four guy is just somebody who can drive in runs, and everything Ozzy hits seems to be extra base hits. So whether it's him or Donaldson, Donaldson this year, Ozzy in the future, whatever, Riley in the future, doesn't really matter. You just need to find the spots that the people are comfortable being in because the comfort is what's going to allow them to play up to their to play up to their potential. We're seeing it with Acuna leadoff. We're seeing it with Dansby batting second. He tends to really like hitting second. Fits his skill set having Freddie behind him. Freddie loves him some batting third. Donaldson prefers second hole, but what I'm saying is Donaldson fits the four hole better than anybody else on your squad. Yeah, and you you definitely want Josh Donaldson batting fourth right now because if you move Donaldson back up to second, then your most likely candidate outside of him to be batting in the four hole. And when I say most likely, I mean most most likely that you know Brian Snitker would play would be Nick Markakis. And while Markakis is a good player and he hits well, I don't like him in the leadoff spot or in the in the four hole. I think he is a five to six hole guy. And to put him in it 
you know, cleanup is a little bit of a misusage of his abilities, in my opinion, at least. I would agree. I think that what Nick has done the first half of last year and this year, it, it really is kind of undersung. And I'm not a guy that's ever been huge into Nick Markakis. I think that he's pretty much the definition of average over the course yeah. of his baseball career. But these last two years, in the first halves anyway, he has been really, really good. And he plays that wall better than anybody else in the outfield. You can't ask for more than what he's giving you. So you need to set him up for spots that tend to get the most out of him. He's a guy that's going to put a lot of contact on the ball. He's not necessarily going to hit a ton of home runs, but he hits a lot of singles. He can still get you some doubles. So put him in a position to drive some people in without having to be that threat of of driving the ball out of the yard. Set him up behind some people that get on base and just let him kind of do his thing and let him be the type of guy that he is at this point. But the other the other factor that I want to talk about is the pitching because I think you and I both think this lineup, particularly if Riley hits the way that we think he can, can be a really, really strong lineup. The question is on the pitching staff. Now, coming into the season, I don't think people had a ton of worry about the starting rotation. Um, everybody worried about the bullpen and with good reason, which we'll get to in just a second. But as far as the starting rotation goes, it has not turned out as planned. Mike Soroka has been Mike Soroka and has been a joy to watch. Max Freed, to me, has been the X factor as far as the starting pitching rotation has gone. If it weren't for Max Freed, I don't know where the Braves would be at right now. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, he when we've seen glimpses of what Max Freed can be in you know his limited starts that he's had over the last year or so. And when he's come in out of the bullpen, he struggled a lot, not as badly as some guys out of the bullpen, obviously, but you know, he has had his struggles out of the bullpen even this season. But the second they slotted him in at full time starter this season, man, he turned a corner. I don't know if there was a switch in his head or what happened, but it was like a it was like a light came on and he just started dealing and he has been all season. I mean, there's only realistically three starts you can look at and say, Okay, that wasn't a great start. And even one of those was the Arizona game where he only gave up three runs. And if your, you know, off day is giving up only three runs, that's, you know, pretty much ideal for a young starter like Max Freed is. It's good that you brought that up because the reason when you're seeing Freed, his bad starts have one common denominator. They're always caught by Tyler Flowers. When you've mm-hmm. got when Max Freed works with Tyler Flowers, he's got an ERA of where I put it down. He's got an ERA of 319 with a FIP at 397. It's not horrible, but it's not max free to what we've seen. Conversely, when he works with Brian McCann, it's a 143 ERA and a 249 FIP. That's the one that you're used to seeing. And I, I've got the three games down. I don't have his last game with Arizona, but it, it just just listen to the numbers and you'll see why it frustrates me when the Braves don't have McCann essentially be his personal catcher. Against the Cubs, against the Diamondbacks, and against the Padres, this is with Brian McCann catching. You're talking about an average 68.3 game score. That's really good. The 143 ERA, the 249 FIP. Uh, With Tyler Flowers, you're talking about uh, the Cleveland game, Colorado once, and the Dodgers. Uh, And I didn't really count the Dodgers, so we'll count count the Colorado. We'll count both Colorados because those were both Tyler Flowers. You're talking about a 52-game score. Not as good. It's not horrible, but it's back-end starter type. You're talking about a 319 ERA and a 397 FIP. That to me is is kind of that to me should be all that should be all you need to know. There's a pretty big reason why that is. Tyler Flowers is a fastball dominant catcher. 
What that means is that's the pitch that he relies on the most to call. Now, for most pitchers, that's okay because most pitchers, their fastball is their best pitch. That's their number one pitch. For Freed, his curveball is actually a better pitch than his fastball. It gets hit softer. It doesn't get hit as much. It has a much higher spin rate. His fastball is good when he spots it, which he does a lot, but his fastball is almost more there to set up his curveball. And Tyler Flowers does a horrendous job calling curveballs in non-two-strike counts, which does Max a huge disservice. Yeah, exactly. And Tyler Flowers, and that that's not a really a detraction against him, as you mentioned. I mean, normally his skill set of game calling is, is very effective, especially for a lot of the young guys that the Braves have right now who are fastball-dominant guys. But when you have a guy like Max Freed, he's going to need somebody who can – you know, understand that his lead pitch, his best pitch is going to be that curveball. And you have to be able to use that effectively throughout the at bat, not just when it's 0-2 or 2-2 or whatever. You have to be able to spot and, and locate that curveball very effectively throughout a lineup and throughout an at bat. Tyler Flowers, this season we've seen it, has not been able to do that. And when you've got a guy like Max Reed who is rolling the way that he is, you don't want to jeopardize his momentum and his numbers by sticking him with somebody who just isn't working for him as his catcher. It, it's a no brainer. And again, it seems like the kind of thing that you would think that Brian Snicker would be very, you know, for because, you know, pitchers having personal catchers is not a new thing. That's, I mean, that's old school baseball. That's, I mean, it's been that way for a very long time. And Brian Snicker being an old school kind of guy, you would think that he would see this kind of thing and he would be all over it, but he hasn't to this point, hopefully, sooner rather than later he kind of figures out what we've been seeing as well it was something he mentioned in spring training is that he didn't want to get into the idea of personal catchers which i think is dumb because if you can see that somebody is significantly better with one versus the other help your team win now a lot of people would think that brian mccann's numbers with all the pitchers would be better than tyler flowers because mccann is a much better game caller because he does a lot more film work and he's been around the block a little bit more and brian just has a knack for knowing which pitch to call it's actually not the case the only other pitcher that really has has defined splits between Flowers and McCann is Kevin Gosman. And with Brian McCann, Gosman's a 343 with a 274 fit. And with Tyler Flowers, it's 493 with a 467. When you're seeing now, granted, a lot of that can be because Gosman, it's hard to tell which Gosman you're gonna get. Mm. But a lot of that also has to do with the fact that Gosman's good games tend to rely on his splitter and his changeup more. He can always throw his fastball, it's not always gonna be spotted well. But his splitter is the pitch that lets him get out of trouble if if guys are really rolling over the top of that splitter. And McCann just does a better job calling off speed and keeping hitters off balance. That's what I notice the most. With Soroka, it doesn't matter because he's he's been he's been great no matter uh, which catcher it's been. And that's because none of none of Soroka's pitches are straight. They all have some sort of movement. I mean, he doesn't he can throw a four seam. When he throws a 97 mile an hour pitch, it's generally his four seam, but he generally throws his sinker instead of a four seam. Tehran is actually far better with Tyler Flowers, although that can be that could be just because Julio Tehran is kind of weird. And sometimes he's amazing, sometimes he's horrible. Uh, it could also be because Tehran worked with Flowers a lot last season. So you can keep your platoons. You just kind of need to set them up a little bit better. I know you don't want to use Flower McCann against left-handed pitchers. I know. You don't want to do that. And you want to try to keep it as strict a platoon as possible. Sometimes that's not the best outcome for the team, though. Yeah, I think pitching, when Max Freed is pitching, regardless of if there's a lefty on the mound or not, I think McCann being his catcher just makes more sense, and it's going to put you in a better position to win games. I just it, It's it's a no-brainer. 
I mean, it's obvious in the numbers. I mean, Max Fried, he looks more comfortable with Brian McCann. And I think with a young guy like him who has, you know, as as big of potential as Max Fried does, you want to get him out there with the guy who's going to make him the most comfortable and give him the biggest chance to, you know, go out there and do some real damage. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that gets conveyed to him shortly. We start seeing that a little bit more likely. But from one guy who's been a pleasant surprise to one who has been an unpleasant surprise, Mike Fultonevich looks absolutely lost right now after getting absolutely obliterated last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we're talking about the 13 to four defeat to the Cardinals on Tuesday. Uh, four and two thirds, eight runs, three homers, and not just like little gimme homers. He gave up three bombs. Fulty just. He does not look right, and he keeps saying that he's not injured. I don't believe him for one instant. If you watch Fulty closely, every time he lets go of the pitch, he's he's done throwing. He'll, you'll see him flex his hand, and he, he pitched last year with bone spurs. It's something I learned today, that he actually pitched through most of last season with bone spurs, and he got through it, and the Braves were really happy with his performance, and yada, 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 but it did hurt him more in the spring, which is why he, he missed all of spring training, essentially. And you can tell when he throws a slider, he's not turning his elbow over. That's the problem. When you see his slider and it's not biting the same as it was last year, that comes from a pitcher not being willing to crank his elbow. Now, whether that's because it just hurts or whether because it's in his head, I don't know. But if it's in his head that badly that it's affecting the way he's throwing the pitch, then just get him the surgery. Yeah, and this is the only time you'll ever hear me say anything like this, but Braves country needs to hope that Mike Fultonevich is pitching injured right now because if he is not, and this is some sort of mental block, then it's going to indicate some kind of you know underlying issue or regression that we do not need from Mike Fultonevich right now. Fulty last season looked amazing, and I've been the biggest supporter of Fulty even back when we first got him in the Evan Gaddis deal to the Astros. I loved him. He's, I love guys who have, you know, big heaters. I love fastballs that are, you know, touching triple digits, which his do very easily. And that's another thing that I've noticed is that it hasn't been extreme, but his velocity has been down a little bit this season as well. And I just, it's worrying to me because if he isn't playing injured, then there's a deeper issue there that's going to require, something else to figure out if it's an injury then you get the surgery if you lose him for the season then you lose him for the season and while that's not ideal it's better than just having him regress and they the the best outcome for this is to find out that he is playing injured i think oh yeah because right now not having him in your rotation is better than having him in your rotation i mean it's it's he's been the worst pitcher for the braves and you can see it in his body language. He looks a lot more like 2017 Fulty than 2018 Fulty, and it's not something that you were hoping to see anymore. And I, I, I'm going to think he's injured until I'm told by Alex Anthopoulos and Mike Fultonevich and Dr. James Andrews simultaneously that he's fine. So I don't really care what the Braves say. He looks injured to me. He's throwing injured to me. So I'm going to continue to think he's injured regardless of what he says. And it, the Braves just have to figure out some way to work around it. When we come up in the second segment, I've got some ideas. I've got some targets that we can talk about as far as who the Braves would add. We're also going to get into some guys who are underperforming. We're going to talk about Ender a little bit, about why Ender being pulled last night may not be for the reason that you think or the reason that the Braves say. Uh, and then we'll finally get into the bullpen talk. I know you guys have been waiting for us to uh, slaughter the bullpen. We will do that in the next segment. But for now, we have to take a quick break. When we come right back, 
right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the Department of Sequel Control. If you feel like you deserve better than White Chicks 2, Leprechaun in Space, and Jason Takes Manhattan, good news. Our organization is already working to ensure that box office tanks like these never get made in the first place. Because you shouldn't have to suffer through a 15th Fast and Furious movie or be subjected to yet another remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you know as good as I do, there was never any reason to make Boondock Saints Part 2. Once we establish time travel, we'll go back to 2009 to make sure that Avatar never gets made and will save you from the four sequels which are currently in production. Also, coming this fall, the Department of Sequel Control, Part 2. Patent pending. Welcome back to the show, everybody. The Platinum Sombrero brought to you by SeatGeek. I want to take a second to introduce you to our new friends from SeatGeek. They take the confusion out of all of your ticket buying needs, whether it's going to a concert, a baseball game, a play, whatever it is, basketball game, any sporting event, really. SeatGeek has a, an awesome system that they use that lets you know if the seat is an actual good seat. They've got a nice rating system that lets you know whether it's a, a good seat to view. Uh, they've even go a step further, and it lets you know almost like CarMax or or Car Gurus whether the price you're paying for your seat is the correct price to pay. They label them as good, fair, and below uh, below value, so you can know that you're paying too much or too little. You can know how good a deal you're getting on your seat. SeatGeek is a rapidly growing company that a lot of people like to use because it'll scan the web and it'll let you know based on all of the other companies it'll let you know how much you should be paying for said seat works the same if you're selling your ticket it will let you know what you should be charging for that seat based on what they've been going for on the other sites and not just that you guys know that i absolutely hate seat fees that i think they're one of the dumbest inventions of mankind well they do have a seat fee at SeatGeek, they uh, they haven't gotten away from that yet, unfortunately, they haven't listened to me, but they have, however, added this. If you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, they're going to give you $20 off at your uh, off at the ticket price there, which will essentially pay for your seat fee, which really, as long as you're not having to pay that seat fee is all I really care about. SeatGeek.com, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right. So, before the break, we told you all the stuff we were going to talk about. I want to start this off with the Ender and Ciarte news. So, Ender goes on the 10-day IL. We all figured this was going to be happening after he got pulled from the game last night. They said it was for lower back tightness. So, he goes on the 10-day IL with a lumbar strain. Um, I don't know if you watched the game last night, Jordy, but I'm going to call BS on it. Yeah, I, I actually was not able to watch last night's game. I, uh, I had to work a little bit later than I was anticipating, so I didn't get to really catch much of it. But I did uh, go back and watch the uh, the act of him being pulled, and I think it was kind of convenient that he uh, injured his back uh, slowly trotting to first base. You know, it's it's kind of interesting, especially in the middle of him having what could be the worst offensive year of his career. And it started in the half inning before that. I believe it was the third inning, I believe, uh, where Jose Martinez was up the plate and Paul Goldschmidt is on second base. And Jose Martinez, who is a really, really good hitter, by the way, used to be in the Brave system, uh, hits a grounder up the middle, gets past Dansby, goes like basically right up over the bag. And Ender just kind of loafs after it to the point where Paul Goldschmidt scores from second base without a throw home. 
not a challenge, just gets in standing up. Ender goes to throw, the, just kind of toss the ball back in the infield. Can't even get it back to the infield. Just it completely, it looked like one of the most laziest plays I've ever seen where there was no hustle to it. He didn't sprint to the ball. None of that. Just kind of slowly jogged his way over there. And then in the bottom half of that inning, he he hits that ball and just kind of, I guess if you want to call that a jog, you can call it that. Just I'm going to call it what it is. It's just loafing to first. And you can tell by his body language that it was more, I don't think it was upset that it's injured. I think he's just upset that he's not playing well. So when he got yanked, I am 100% positive in my mind that it was because he was lazy and because he was loafing. And this IL stint, quote-unquote, for a lumbar strain, is going to be to try to get his head right. And just because, frankly, you can't use him right now. Because he's been a horrible defender this year. He's actually been a negative defender, which for a player who's totally dependent on his defensive value, if he's not giving you that defensive value, Ender has never been a guy who's going to carry you with his offense. It is always his defense. If his defense isn't playing, his offense is totally unusable, and that makes him an unplayable type of guy. I think that it's kind of BSing. They're trying to cover for him a little bit by calling it a lumbar strain because you can't just say, I put him onto the DL because he's lazy or IL because he's being lazy because I don't want him playing. So unless you're Derek Lowe and just kind of blow the cover for everybody, I think we should all be able to see what happened last night and, and for the most part be able to tell what it was. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the only injury that Enciarte has is bruised feelings right now. I think he he knows as well as anybody else that he sucks right now. And that's I've never been the kind of guy who gets angry at players when they're when they're sucking because there's nobody who's more upset at them at them than them, you know. But except for BJ I mean, Upton. Yeah, except for BJ Upton. BJ Upton, he was a special case, but you know, we we all finally remember the boss man junior uh the era but um as far as Inciarte goes man he's been a black hole this season like you said his his defense which is his entire value has been subpar for not just his standards but for industry standards I mean he's been bad and at the plate we've gotten used to him hitting you know 150 in the first half and then 350 in the second half that's just kind of how it goes but this season he's not even providing the defensive value that he normally would to kind of offset that and so the biggest question that I've had all season was, could Adam Duvall be doing worse than this? Could Austin Riley be doing worse than this? And even I've even wondered at points, because this has been the entire argument against, or not against, but the entire thing with, with this person. Christian Pache, for the longest time, has been a guy who has been necessarily ready for at least defensive MLB play since he was 18 years old. He could play professional defense since that time, but he couldn't hit. So I'm just in here thinking, could he be doing worse than this? I mean, even if you br- you bring up a guy who's just not hitting at all, and it's basically still a wash because his defense enders being so bad is just killing this team right now because he's providing negative value in both offensive and defensive categories. And it's it's a good thing that this happened now because it had to happen eventually. And it's better to just go ahead and get it out of the way. Riley's ready. He's up now, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, I'm you brought up Pache, which... Getting dangerously close to uh to what I nearly stepped my foot into the other day, uh, what would pissed a lot of people off. But I would say that I don't think that Pache would be the one brought up because while he is a Gold Glove caliber center fielder right now, and I'm talking about right up there with Byron Buxton defense right now, offensively he's not a guy that you want to rush. He's got 
absolutely immense potential, superstar potential. You don't have to say my word for it. You can read Kylie McDaniel and Eric Longenhagen if you like, or you can talk to uh, Jason Waddell, and they'll tell you as well. Absolute superstar potential, but you have to you, – he's not the guy that you want to rush. He's still – he's been working on a lot of stuff uh, going into last year and, and this year continuing. He's been working on – staying back to access his power and allow his natural power to, to come forth. And he's working on that, which is why you can see in double A, he actually has a higher ISO right now than Ronald Acuna did in double A. Now, granted, it's a smaller sample size. He's had about half the at-bats that Acuna did. But as of right now, Christian Pache is just absolutely obliterating the baseball. Isn't showing up all the way in home runs. He's only got three homers. But you're talking about playing in Trustmark, which is one of the most pitcher-friendly minor league parks across all of the leagues. But he's hitting a ton of doubles, ton of triples, and doing his thing. He's got five steals as well. I think he's going to be your starting center fielder next year. I really do. I think they're going to get him up to AAA this year, and I think they're going to kind of slow it a little bit with him and make sure that he's make sure that he's progressing the way that they feel he needs to. He's not a guy like Acuna that you can just kind of plug in right away. He's a guy that I think you need to, you need to be careful with. You don't want to stunt his offensive growth because the difference between his floor and ceiling is is the difference between between being Kevin Pillar or Juan Lagares and being better than Lorenzo Cain. So I would not say that. As far as Duvall, he's only played like, I don't think Duvall's played any center field innings. Matt Joyce had eight center field innings last year and eight and a third the year before. So he would probably be your backup center fielder. Um, I think that they would just roll with Acuna. If they absolutely had to, Rafael Ortega would probably be the guy they would bring up as my guess would be Rafael Ortega and just use him strictly as like an emergency backup. Um, it is, it is an interesting question because it is a spot of weakness. When you're talking about the depth, you have backups for every position except really center field, because I don't know if you really considered that endurance Yarte would be this bad, this quick with his defense. Now defense is always the first skill to erode because as you get older, you'll start getting slower. Your reaction times will slow down and that affects your defense the most. And Ender. Ender doesn't have a margin of error. If he loses his defense, he's no longer a valuable player. He goes from being Ender to essentially being Atlanta Braves version of Gorky's Hernandez, which unplayable if you guys remember Gorky's. So I, I, I don't know the whole answer there. One thing I can tell you is I don't think Ender is the guy to stay quiet if he doesn't think he's injured and he's put on that list anyway. He's the type of guy that I think you'll hear something. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And when, and when I bring up guys like Adam Duvall, uh, what I, I'm basically saying is you at this point, we know Acuna is the center fielder on the team when NCRT isn't playing, so you could slot somebody in the left. But even moving beyond that, I think the best case scenario for the Atlanta Braves right now is they got to get rid of NCRT and they got to get rid of him now because every second he spends on a baseball diamond going forward, if it if you know, this entire season is to be believed, decreases his value, which is bad. He has value right now, and the more he plays, the lesser that value becomes, and they have positions of need that have to be addressed. And Ender and Ciarte is one of the biggest pieces they have to address those needs right now. I think that I think it's going to get worse before it gets better for Enciarte, unfortunately, and that hurts me to say because, again, I'm a big fan of Ender. I've liked him a long time, and then he just he just continues to get worse. So I think the best outcome for the Braves right now is to get this guy out of here and get somebody in who can, you know, who can log more innings. I think bringing Austin Riley up and sending in Ziarte to one of these teams that has a surplus of relief pitchers is the best possible outcome. 
And you brought up the relievers. That is kind of the big thing right now. It's bullpen help. I don't. There's been a lot of talk about Madison Bumgarner. Let me just say that I am not on the Bumgarner camp. If you could get Bumgarner for like Colby Allard and I don't know, say Freddie Tarnock, sure. Okay. Um, I would go no higher than Grayson Janista. And I really wouldn't want to give up Janista because I don't think three months of Madison Bumgarner is going to do much. Totally aside from the fact that Madison Bumgarner's season, while it looks pretty good if you only look at the surface stats, if you dig a little bit deeper, it is not good at all. He's giving up a career high in hard contact. I believe it's 46% this year. And he's got a career high fly ball percentage to go along with it with a career low ground ball rate. So essentially, he's giving up a ton of fly balls. He's giving up 6% more fly balls than Julio Tehran, who, as we all know, is quite prone to the long ball. Uh, the only thing saving Bumgarner is that he's playing most of his games in maybe the best pitcher's park, aside from maybe San Diego or Seattle or uh, Detroit, in all of baseball. I mean, San Francisco's park is a pitcher's paradise. If you take him out of that where he's given up almost 50% fly balls, he's going to start getting yanked. Yeah, Mad Bum is not the guy. I don't I the more talks increase about him putting us on his no trade list to kind of leverage himself towards us as well as the other teams that he put on there. I'm I'm terrified. I don't want Madison Bumgarner, but more specifically, I don't want Madison Bumgarner at the cost it's going to take to get Madison Bumgarner exactly. because the the Giants are going to charge like he's 2013 Madison Bumgarner and he's not. And I'm so afraid of us paying for 2013 Madison Bumgarner, and then he gets here and he turns into a pumpkin. And I, I'm so afraid of that. There are just so many more options, especially on that Giants team. For me, the starting rotation right now is solid enough to where to trade for Madison Bumgarner and most likely overpay for him is not the move. We need to stay away from that. We need to go and get one of the like 75 relievers that they have that are, you know, sub two ERAs right now. And it really boils down to how deep you want to go into the prospects to deal that trade. Now, granted, if you were to listen to some of the hosts in Atlanta sports media, guys that are talking about giving up Christian Pache and Tuki Toussaint or giving up Tuki Toussaint and Ian Anderson for Madison Bumgarner because they haven't watched Bumgarner since last time he was in the playoffs. Um, that is a hard no. That is what the Giants yeah. are hoping for. Depending yeah. on who you want to get reliever-wise depends on what you're going to have to give up. I don't think Alex is a guy that's going to pay premium prospects for a reliever. So I don't think you'd see them get Will Smith unless the Giants for some reason just sold ridiculously low. Maybe you could convince them to to give you Will Smith for a package around Grayson Janista. But again, that's about as high as I'm going. Uh, I'm not giving you Drew Waters. I'm not giving you Christian Pache. So those are the only two outfield prospects of any substance before Grayson Janista. Um, and Janice is a guy that might be kind of out of the position for a little bit, at least until the DH is adopted. So I, I love Grayson. I love what he brings, but that's probably the most attractive trade chip to the Braves. Um, you may end up looking instead of, instead of looking at Will Smith, which is who everybody's probably got their eyes on a guy like Tony Watson, who's a free agent after this year. So he won't be super expensive because there's not a lot of, of, <clears throat> there's not a lot of control on that. So it won't cost you the same amount as far as prospects go. A uh, guy like Trevor Gott, who has been really, really good this year. Nick Vincent's been good, but I, I don't trust relievers who don't throw 90 miles an hour. So I don't want Nick Vincent. That's another guy that get him out of a ballpark like that. And I'm convinced he'll be a pumpkin, 
But it's interesting oh, yeah. that you mentioned that about the starting rotation because I do think you can and should upgrade the starting rotation, and I think you can do it fairly easily. And it's not Madison Bumgarner. It's it's not some pitcher from the Pirates, or or it can't be Jameson Tyone as now that he's on the DL or IL. I'm sorry. The one guy that I keep coming back to is a former Brave, Mike Miner. If you look at Mike Miner and you look at Madison Bumgarner and you look at them side by side, nobody should be preferring Bumgarner over Miner. Whereas Bumgarner is being helped out by the fact that he's in a pitcher's paradise, Mike Miner is having a career type of season in maybe the most hitter-friendly ballpark in all of baseball in Arlington, aside from maybe Cincinnati. And there's some real arguments about which one of those two is more hitter friendly. Mike Miner is absolutely dominant. He's got another year on his contract at nine and a half million. He would instantly come in and you could upgrade from Gosman or Tehran. Either one of those Miner would slot in as probably your third most talented overall, but he's going to be your most experienced and he's a guy that you feel can lock down. You can feel good going against nearly anybody with him. You're going to take him out of that environment and out of that bandbox of a division. He's his changeup is dynamite right now. He doesn't cost a lot. He's got another gear on him. And because it's Mike Miner and not Madison Bumgarner, you won't pay the same premium in prospects. Yeah, and as I'm looking at his stats, you know, I hadn't even been paying attention to Mike Miner. That's kind of a name that I, you know, kind of I remember the name, but I forgot that he was a person, if that makes sense. And I'm sitting here looking at his his numbers, and you're absolutely right. I mean, a 2.68 ERA, which is the lowest he's had since he, you know, had, uh, let's see. He had 65 games back in 2017 with KC. That's when he was a reliever, that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he was a reliever then. And when you look at his, you know, last full season as a starter, which was 2014, he was 26 years old. He had a 4.77, and that was when he was still with us. So, I mean, you see, you see, a 2.68 ERA with 3.65 FIP. You know, I think you've kind of gotten me sold on this guy a little bit as well. I like Mike Miner a lot when he was with us. I was always a little bit bummed out that, you know, his trajectory went the way that it did. And uh, I think it would be a really good reunion for the Braves. And, and another team that I'm looking at that has a couple of interesting starting options uh, could be the Tigers. The Tigers have a couple of guys uh, right now that look at least mildly interesting. guy like Matt Boyd, who has a 3.15 ERA right now. And then you've also got Shane Green as their closer right now that could provide an interesting trade opportunity if the Tigers stay in their like rebuild mindset and look to move some things at the deadline. I love what Matt Boyd is doing. His strikeout, his strikeout increase this year from last year is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, but it's completely dependent on that slider. Uh, I want no part of Shane Green. Shane Green is a guy that, He's a closer by name only. He's doing pretty well this year, but if you look a little bit deeper into Shane Green, I've had him on a few fantasy teams to know this. Uh, he's, he's a guy that gets rocked in his ballpark, so I don't really want him in my ballpark. Uh, I would definitely take Matt Boyd. I think the Tigers would probably charge more than the Rangers would, and the Rangers you can deal from a position of your strength because they don't have pitching, not in not in the majors, not in the prospects, not in the prospect ranks. They really don't have much. They've got Hans Kraus. They took Cole Wynn in this past draft. Uh, they're pretty big on Johander Mendez, but he hasn't really been much this really since he's come over to them. The Braves have the arms to really be able to to get Mike Miner without really missing a beat. If you're talking about bullpen guys and you just want to upgrade the bullpen, San Francisco is easily the the best team to look for. I would say the Twins and go after somebody like Taylor Rogers if the Twins weren't somehow like one of the top five teams in all of baseball right now. And here's one guy that uh, we didn't talk about when we were talking about the Giants that I kind of want to throw out here, and that's uh, Sam Dyson 
And the reason I want to talk about Sam Dyson is almost exclusively from a, a you know, a University of South Carolina bias standpoint, go Cox. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, he's sitting right now with a 3.05 ERA, uh, which is a little bit up from last season, but a 2.69 last season. He's got the he's got a 2.19 ERA plus. I know that's his uh, fifth actually is a 2.19 right now. And as a 31 year old who's on the last season of his contract and only five mil, I think he could be another interesting option for the Braves to look at. I wouldn't be opposed to that or Sean Kelly from from the Rangers. I think the Rangers and the Giants probably line up best. Neither of those teams are going to do anything this year. Neither of those teams have a farm system worth mentioning, and that's where the Braves can come in. They don't have a lot of pitching depth on either of those teams, so the Braves can help them out, and they can help the Braves out. There's probably a couple others that I'm missing. Um, it really just depends on who decides to become sellers and who, who actually matches up with you. Some teams just don't really match up with the Braves, and you can talk about we've got a lot of really great prospects or whatever, but – not a lot of teams are in the market for the same type of prospects that the Braves really have. You know, everybody needs pitching. I understand that, but they have to feel an immediate need in the same way that the Giants are too stubborn to just tear it down and rebuild. So they keep saying they want major league ready prospects. Well, the only major league ready guys are, are Colby Allard, or you start getting into the tier that you're not going to trade like Kyle Muller, Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright type of stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the real answer is on that. The Braves might be tempted to trade Kyle Wright if they're not completely sold. I don't think they are because spring training, they were all completely sold on Kyle Wright. I don't think they're trading him. I thought that they would have this offseason if they were going to do it. But for the most part, you have to do something. And I do still think that they're going to get Craig Kimbrell. I think as soon as the draft is done, they're going to sign Craig Kimbrell so they'll no longer lose that that slot money in the draft, which I think is more important to them than the pick itself, is the money attached to it. I think they'll sign Kimbrell. It'll take him a few weeks. It'll probably be July before we see him. But it doesn't just stop there. They Alex has done a lot of good things in his tenure, his short tenure as a GM. Um, he's His bullpen management has not been one of them. Uh, we all saw it in this offseason um, with all of the bullpen arms that were out there and how there was nobody here with a track record, nobody here with any sustained, sustained success, and you didn't address it at all so you end up having shocker of all shockers a bullpen full of guys who have one to one and a half years worth of experience between them all and i guess darren o'day who i don't even know if he's even a real person at this point he might just be like a figment of your imagination like brad pitt and fight club um every anytime he looks at a baseball he breaks his arm so you can't count on him for anything a you can breathe on him and his shoulder will break aj mentor has been absolutely horrendous and I was never the biggest AJ Minter guy to begin with, but this AJ Minter, who's so stubborn that he's only using his cutter and his slider, is not going to be an AJ Minter that can do anything. You're counting on Luke Jackson to be the most lockdown member of your bullpen. If you had told me before the season that Luke Jackson would be the guy that we were counting on to be the shutdown member of our bullpen, I would have pulled my hair out. You know, I would have as well, but man, looking at his numbers this season, you know, I'm not too upset about it, man. Cowboy Luke Jackson, he's definitely got the horses in the back, and I'm all here for... Oh, I'm totally happy with how it's turned out. Oh, yeah, it's great, but I feel you. No, definitely. If you told me this season that uh, Luke Jackson would be our closer in May and A.J. Minter would be in April with an ERA of like 772, then I would say you're crazy. But at the same time, if you told me that my man, Sean Newcomb, was going to be the setup man for Luke Jackson, who was the closer, I'd have told you you were crazy then, too. I mean, 
my worry with Luke is I'm never, ever, ever going to be over this idea that he's going to blow it in his next outing. For one thing, he's only had two bad outings all season, so I got to give him a ton of credit. I'm sorry, Luke Jackson, and I am for real. Uh, he's been really good this year, but it keeps reminding me of Shane Carl from last year. That's a little bit different because Luke's slider is actually a really good slider. It's good, it gets a good spin rate on it. His fastball is heavy enough, but I, I can't keep, I cannot forget the six week stretch that Shane Carl had a year ago where he was totally untouchable. And there was no reason for him to be untouchable. If you actually in Fangraphs actually did an article on it talking about how it's it was like the weirdest thing in the world that nobody was touching Shane Carl. And they said, don't it's not going to last. So sell high. And then what happened is all of a sudden Shane Carl became Shane Carl again uh, and he started getting ripped apart. Well, Biddle, unfortunately, I, I really like Jesse Biddle. I think he has a lot of talent. But man, the fall from grace he has had, and it has to be mental at this point with him because he has a good arm. And last year, he he wasn't a, a super walk-prone guy. He was able to come in in high leverage or low leverage. He was a guy that could give you multiple innings, and he did a good job. He has been he's been one of the worst relievers in all of baseball. And I say that as as a in the same division as Trevor Rosenthal, who had an infinite ERA for like three weeks. Yeah, and so I have this written down in my notes. I want to run this by you, and I want to see what you think about this. So 2018 Jesse Biddle. So Jesse Biddle last year was 2013 David Carpenter slash Luis Avilon, 2015 Ian Kroll, and 2017 Sam Freeman. In that, the Braves are every single season good to have one reliever who has sucked his entire career come in be amazing for that one year and then immediately suck again after they increase his responsibilities the next season. And it happens every single year. And right now it's looking like it's going to be Luke Jackson. So hopefully he continues to, you know, eat at the level that he that he has, but the Braves bullpen every single season without fail, will have one reliever in it that has sucked for his entire existence. And then he will have one good year. He'll be incredible. And then the next season they'll put him in as their seventh inning guy. And he'll have like an ERA of 822 the next season. It's it never fails. I mean, I don't think that's Biddle. I mean, Biddle was a pretty high impact prospect. As a matter of fact, he was number 30 on Philly's top 30 as a reliever, which is kind of a big deal. It's just a guy that's had a lot of injuries. I think it's it, I honestly think it's 100 percent mental with him. I don't know. I don't know how you fix it. The Braves just DFA'd him today to bring up Tuki Toussaint, which is good because as much as, as guys that I respect want Tukey to be a starter. I think Tukey's eventual home is the back end of the bullpen. I think he's very similar to Rice Iglesias, where he can be a very top-notch closer in time. But you DFA'd Blevins to bring up Jesse Biddle, and it made zero sense because you didn't have to do it. And I tried to give the benefit of the doubt, and I uh, I, w- I was actually wrong. I had, ass- I had just assumed that you had to take him off the, the 10-day DL after a time once you had him in rehab starts that you had to get him up quickly. Well, apparently that they didn't. The Braves have – you have 30 days for a rehab assignment if you're a pitcher before you have to be put back on the big league club, 20 if you're a position player. So I, I don't know the impetus for adding Jesse Biddle back into that bullpen when he was atrocious on his rehab outings. It's, it's funny because I look at Jerry Blevins, and I'm sitting here thinking if one bad outing is enough to get Jerry Blevins – cut from this team essentially with the DFA I mean there should be no one in the bullpen right now except for maybe Dan Winkler and Grant Dayton who is at AAA right now even though he came up and was absolutely dynamic he was like he was dynamite out there 
And those are the only two guys who have yet to have a bad outing. Everybody else, if Jerry Blevins is the standard, should have been DFA'd a long time ago. I don't understand the process, the thought process behind getting rid of Blevins after one bad outing when he hadn't even given up a run until that point. Granted, he only had 3.1 innings pitched before that, but I mean, he still had yet to give up a run. So the, the, his DFA made no sense to me. And I'm not necessarily like, I'm not upset that they DFA Jerry Blevins. Jerry Blevins is not a guy that you get up in arms about. It's not the DFA Blevins part of it. It's DFAing him for Jesse Biddle, who yeah. did not look anywhere near ready to come back. I don't know why they forced him back. They're both left-handed arms. You can't say that Blevins was tired and couldn't be used or whatever. I, I don't understand that thought process. I'm glad that they brought back up Wes Parsons. I do like Wes Parsons. You just have to know what he is. Like Wes is an outstanding story. He's an undrafted free agent that was nowhere near top 30s for a long time, found himself in it last year, uh, was a really good starter for most of his career with Gwinnett, comes up and he's, he slots into that bullpen role, and he throws a lot of strikes. But inherent in that is he's not a guy with overpowering stuff, so there are going to be outings where people rip him because he's going to make the, the, the hitters earn it, and sometimes they're just going to earn it because he's going to yeah. give them stuff to hit and play to his defense. I like, I like Parsons. I'm glad they have him up here. I think he's a big help. I love Johnny Venters, but with that said, and I do not want to say this because Johnny is one of my absolute favorite Braves of all time. Uh, I think that his story is one of the best stories ever to come back from what he's come back from three and a half times, but he's got 120 ERA and that's not a joke. 120.25 ERA. He cannot be used against right-handed hitters under any circumstance. He needs to be brought in for a left-handed batter. If he walks that batter, you got to pull him. That's it. You cannot use him against the righty at this point. And to, to to use Johnny for more than he should be at this point, that is a black mark against Brian Snicker, and it, it does Johnny no help. I know you want to increase his confidence. That's not the way to do it. Yeah, and I'm as big a, uh, a nostalgic guy as you can imagine. Uh, and when it comes to basketball, I'm a Dirk, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan. So watching Dirk Nowitzki get trotted out for seven minutes a game to go three for 10 shooting. And I, I'm still out here, you know, with the 41 on my back, you know, Dirk is my man. However, at the same time, I also understand that there comes a time when you got to go. And Johnny Venters is an incredible story. He was absolutely phenomenal last season. Comeback player of the year was 100% deserved for him. However, I think it may be time for him to go be an inspiration to someone else because, like you mentioned, he has a ERA of, what was it, 120 or something like that? 120.25. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no room for that in a bad bullpen. I'm sorry. It, we, nostalgia be damned. It's, it, you can't have it. I mean, it just it's, it's a black mark against Brian Snicker, like you said, because he continues to trot him out there. And he continues to get shelled. And I hate it, just like you do. But, I mean, it's sort of the same thing as marching O'Flaherty out a couple of years ago. Only the difference is now the games matter. It's not a rebuild anymore. And if we're going to be bringing back, you know, pitchers who were good for us a few years ago, we might as well bring back Jordan Walton and his little hop thing that he does. You know, I mean. I hated that so much, by the way. Oh, I, I loved it. I was a big fan, but we'll we'll get into that later. That was that was one of the most painful things for me to watch a, a pitcher hop towards the plate. <laughs> I hated that oh. so much. I I cannot I cannot make myself say cut Johnny Venters. I just I can't make myself say it. But at the very least, only use him to get one left-handed hitter out. Or if you're in like the 16th inning, like 
Yeah. He should be the absolute final choice. And sometimes I'm thinking use Culberson ahead of him. Like Absolutely. And that's not even a joke. That no, is. it's it's totally for real. And it I, I get that there's not a lot of bullpen help in the minors to bring up right now. Corbin Klaus was a guy that everybody's been high on, and I'm high on Corbin as well. He's got a lot of good stuff, but he's got a horrendous walk rate right now. He's got a five six ERA as well. Thomas Burroughs is another one, but he's you know his ERA is three six. He's still walking a lot of guys as well. I would have brought either of them up for Biddle, but neither one of those guys are guys you feel are going to lock it down. There's just not that many relievers. You saw them bring Patrick Weigel and Wasker Enoa up to AAA. I think that's a huge sign. Both are on the forty man roster. Patrick has been doing shorter outings this year, about four innings, about 45 type of pitches. Wasker, you know, has been in the bullpen. So I think you'll see both of them at some point this year in Atlanta, which is great for Patrick because he was on his way to Atlanta in 2017 before Sean Newcomb did. But I, I don't want to end this on a bad note. So since we have to get out of here, I do have something happy that I want to talk about and maybe make me a little bit smug, um, but that's never been a problem before. MLB Pipeline, if you guys know, um, pretty big deal. They do a, a lot of prospect rankings, a lot of scoutings, and they scout a lot of teams. And they just released their uh, their Braves reports a couple of days back. And who would you guess is the number one prospect on MLB Pipeline for the Braves? I mean, if you're looking at the system as it stands right now, there's probably two guys who could be in that position. However, due to your smugness about it, I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's Christian Pache. It absolutely is Christian Pache. This is a guy who Kyler McDaniel thinks has full 80-grade defense, 80-grade speed, and a 70-grade arm. All of a sudden, now that he's showing power, they've got him absolutely the number one prospect in the Brave system, ahead of Ian Anderson, ahead of Austin Riley, who they have at number three, Drew Waters at number five. So really, yeah, so it's a good time to be in the Braves system. They got Kyle Wright at they might have Kyle Wright at two, Riley at three, Ian Anderson at four. It could be something like that. It is any any system. The way the top five is Pache number one, and then it's there's some sort of mixture of uh, Wright, Riley, Anderson and Drew Waters, which you can you can measure those in any way that you want. Point fact of the matter is, if the Braves hit on Pache the way that everybody else seems to think that they do, aside from a couple Braves fans, um, if they get Pache to hit that offensive ceiling with the type of defense they have, that's another superstar to add to your outfield. It's fun times for the Braves. You talk about Drew Waters, who if he reaches his own ceiling, another potential superstar there. So I'm not here to be doom and gloom. I'm here to tell you that in 2020, your outfield will have Christian Pache, and I would bet you. It, it would probably have Drew Waters as well. I think you could see both of them on the big league club. I think you'll definitely see them at some point in 2020. I think you'll see Christian Pache start for the Braves in 2020. And I think you'll see Drew Waters come up a little bit later. But I think you'll definitely, by the by the time 2021 rolls around, you will have an outfield of Ronald Acuna, Christian Pache, Drew Waters, with Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, and William Contreras. You know, just talking about that, get, I just get the biggest smile on my face, man. I'm I'm a William Contreras guy. I've seen I've seen him a couple of times uh, when the Rome Braves come through Augusta. I love that guy. I've seen Christian Pache in the same situation, man. And, and all this young talent the Braves have coming up all at the same time. And and when this rebuild was at its peak, you know, everybody kept saying draft more bats, draft more bats. Well, it looks like the Braves did a pretty good job of collecting quite a few top notch blue chip bat prospects. And for a team that everybody all was talking about just acquiring pitching, it really is incredible. And that's not even to mention C.J. Alexander, 
who before he went down with his injury uh, was really, really high, highly thought of at the Braves organization enough that uh, there were some guys that, that were willing to trade Austin Riley in the off season because they believed in CJ Alexander so much. I'm glad they didn't. I am as well. <laughs> I'm very glad they didn't. The way yeah, things turned out. Hindsight's 2020 um, and it. It was a good decision not to trade Austin Riley now. But I can tell you that Christian Pache was, I know his name got thrown around a lot as far as potential trades for guys like Corey Kluber and whatnot. Uh, I can tell you he was not, I can tell you from, uh, from a couple guys I've talked to that he is not, he was not untouchable, but he was as unclose to, he was as close to untouchable as anyone in the system. They regarded him in the same light as they did Ian Anderson as far as trade talks. And that's the level of player that he has the potential to grow into. I mean, we're talking about a guy who at worst, in my opinion, could become Ender Enciarte, which is not a horrible thing when NCRT's defense is as it could be. I mean, if you're talking about a guy who at worst is a gold glove defender with a, with a two, two thirty two forty bat. I mean, it's not great, but it's a lot worse. You can definitely have a lot worse defenders and players. in center field. Oh, he'll always be better than Ender because he's way faster. The, the thing on Ender that people seem to think Ender's fast. He's actually not. He's actually, there are 48 qualifiers for center fielders of guys who had 10 opportunities uh, for sprint speed. Ender is number 48. That, really? I, yeah. I didn't even realize that. He is on par with Nick Marcakis sprint speed wise. Uh, and if, if you want to point to the fact that he stole 28 bases a year ago, that, that seems like a good number. He got caught 14 times, literally a 50% caught stealing rate. Uh, he, he's, he's quick. He's not fast. Uh, Pache is an absolute speed demon. I don't know if he's faster than Acuna pipeline and fan graphs have him rated as faster than Acuna, but I haven't seen the two race and Acuna has nearly a 30 sprint speed. Um, so I think, I think I'd call it a wash between them, which is still you're talking about being among the fastest players on the team. It's off. It's awesome to see if I were going to say Pache is like anybody, I think right now he's a little bit like Byron Buxton. You look at his body, 6'2", almost 6'3", over 200 pounds now with the muscle he's added on. Just an absolute tank of a young man, super athletic, super explosive. And from what I've been told, the hardest worker in the entire Braves system. So if there's anybody that I believe is going to reach that ceiling, it's going to be Christian Pache. You may have to you may have to go slower with him because he's not, he's not on the same level as Acuna at the same time. He's a little bit more raw offensively than Acuna was, but there is no doubt about it that when you're talking about generational defense, Pache is that guy. So with that, Braves fans, I'm going to leave you with that high note. Christian Pache quickly on the rise across national media, across all platforms of highly respected national media. Just a matter of time. Enjoy Austin Riley's debut today. Hopefully Mike Soroka goes out there and beats up the Cardinals, who I would just love to take apart. And the Braves can beat up Michael Walker a little bit. Want to thank Jordy for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Jordy, let everybody know where to find you. Man, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Jordan is a brave. Use my full government name there. Please follow me. Uh, I, I will follow back. I love to talk Braves with you guys. And really, the entire point of me coming on here was to launch myself into the upper echelon of Braves Twitter uh, fame. So if I get that out of this, I will definitely be uh, a very happy boy. Thank you guys for having me on. It was my pleasure. It was a fun episode. Doc will be back next week. Don't worry, guys. I will be back under somebody's thumb next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. You know where to follow. You know where to subscribe, leave a review, blah, 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 all that good stuff. We'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Nothing's going to ever keep you down.
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.